Welcome one and welcome all. We are live this Sunday evening. The last podcast I said we were in June. We're not in June. It's January actually. January 17th for those who are watching live with us tonight. Here with the awesome guest list, we have Alex Bass of Cyberbytes Inc. How you doing, Alex? Pretty good, as always. Good to see you. I'm glad you cleaned your room before coming on. Always appreciated. <laughs> yeah, if I don't, then I get yelled at by everyone in the chat, so... As well with us tonight, we have Brandon Orr. How's it going, everybody? I'm doing well. Thank you. No one asked, Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) And as well with us, we have special guest, Derek Konigsberg, who is an avid BlackBerry fan, developer, aficionado, very opinionated as well. So we're going to toss him into our dialogue here. How are you doing, Derek? Good, good. I've been doing something BlackBerry-related since... Practically 2006. Ridiculous to think how long I've been around. <laughs> Still holding true on a BlackBerry device, eh? Uh, for the most part. I think the priv kind of half counts, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a half step, but we get you. And lastly, of course, we have uh, infamous Black... Uh, I would say BlackBerry Editor-in-Chief. I wish. Uh, Crackberry <laughs> Editor-in-Chief Blaze. How you doing, man? Doing good, man. Doing good. I saw you rocking a sombrero the other day. Well, you want to tell us Dude. about that? I had a sombrero on. I checked out some cowboy hats. I was no, I was just we, me and Michelle were out shopping, and I was just fooling around with some hats. I realized I actually do look pretty dapper in a cowboy hat, though. I was like, man, I'm seriously considering this seventy-five dollar cowboy hat. Oh <laughs> what? Get the boots and all going on. Right? Just need a sidearm, be ready to roll. <laughs> Let's have a moment of silence for Techno Buffalo's BBM channel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know that's what it is. Channels is channels is a fun thing, and I'm sure we'll we'll get there toward the end as we uh, go through our topic list today. But we have just a couple things to talk about. First thing I want to kind of jump into is Good Technology achieving some higher security certifications, and this is Good Technology by BlackBerry now. Of course, since we have the M&A strategy that BlackBerry seems to be leveraging, what do you guys think about you know kind of the aggregation of what we're seeing between these two companies. I mean, at this point, it very much seems like Good is going to be standalone for a while until BlackBerry can look at you know further integrating these two uh, you know kind of massive organizations. What do you guys think? Does does a Good technology win necessarily mean a BlackBerry win at this point, or is it a little bit too early? Um, I would say it's it's a it's just synonymous with a BlackBerry win. I mean, they took over Good technology, and I think Good technology is trying to bolster up their their enterprise security um, portfolio. So any win in that space, regardless of whether it's you know good or uh, what's the other company out of uh, SecuSmart, any one of those, any of the wins of any of their subsidiaries like QNX or any of those uh, can be considered a win by BlackBerry. Yeah, I agree with Brandon. Mainly because I mean, at this point, you know. Not exactly everybody knows that it's BlackBerry. It's kind of like a, a QNX win at this point. Not a, everybody knows that it's QNX, but the people who care actually do know. So, you know, it's still one of those things where they, you know, they may not, BlackBerry may not get necessarily the full recognition for it, but whatever, it's still a win. You know, it's still a feather in the cap. It's funny because, like, if we look at all the feathers in BlackBerry's caps, how many of them actually make money, right? <laughs> That's the funniest part. It's, uh, it's a really tough place because, 
taking good technology for the valuation they did in the situation the company was in pre-IPO is very interesting. I mean, this was a company that was making money but wasn't necessarily profitable, right? So how do you think John Chen's going to be able to bring the two companies together so that both can start making money? Do you think maybe some of BlackBerry's overhead can help kind of cover for, for good technology? I mean, what's the strategy? I mean, it just was a very interesting choice because there's a potential overlay of a lot of the stuff they do. Hangouts UI. <laughs> yeah, Hangouts UI specifically for us is only going to show, it'll pop up above, but it won't show for anyone else. So that's that's a good news for us. But, you know, speaking good technology, Alex, do you think there's like a, more integration to happen here, or are these units of business going to be kind of standalone, but just like a subsidiary type thing? I've, I don't know. I feel like it's it's tough to say anything, like, if, say for certain they're going to be separate. I feel like in the future things can change. Um, I think plans are always changing so it might it might I don't know I, it's something that we haven't really seen them make an acquisition this big in, in a while specifically in MDM so I am very curious like how they're going to go about doing it in the future right now doesn't necessarily mean you know they might they might be limited in some way where they can't you know integrate as much as they wanted to or something um, doesn't mean that's gonna be like that for for the future so I really don't know I find it interesting that there's some, you know, pretty obvious overlap because Best 12 can do Android and can do iOS, and then obviously there's like, you know, good technology who can do Bez or or yeah, good technology can do Bez. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> good technology can do like Android and iOS as well. So there has to be some sort of like integration there, I believe, at some point in time to be able to go ahead and make the systems you know a little bit more cohesive. Um, but other than that, I mean, I, I don't. Good technologies, a lot of good stuff doesn't even actually work with BlackBerry 10 unless it's actually sideloaded. So, you know, there's there's some some overlap and there's some gaps in between what the two, I can't even say companies, but the the two systems offer. So, you know, it doesn't it doesn't seem as though that they can integrate every single thing, right? Yeah, and that can be a real pain for, for users, right? And, and, you know, BlackBerry 10 notwithstanding, if you look at the specifics of, you know, what the several applications were that, you know, good powered by BlackBerry, we're looking specifically at, like, the secure container and the applications receiving that higher level of certification. So really kind of doubling down on the, their security and the main core tenets of what good brought to the table, right? certified app app ecosystem for specifically iOS apps, right? So we've got the good proxy, the control server, good access clients, things like that. So you're right, a lot of overlap there. I'm hoping that it just helps them attack the Android and the iOS market specifically just a little bit stronger, right? Because those are already existing customer bases where I think it was like 64, 65% of those users were on iOS from good anyway. So it's kind of leveling out their playing field where they obviously had a, a high you know, density of BlackBerry devices that they were managing. Now they can play on that other side of the fence too. Either you know, way, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I've been, as of lately, I've been trying to get uh, like partner status with Google for my company for deployment, um, essentially MDM and all that Google Apps for work. And I'm realizing now, like personally, it's easy to kind of see MDM and BlackBerry and like, you know, they're at the top and everything, but you kind of have this IT staff and then you have companies who are pushing the product and that's how a lot of it's going to be sold. And 
I'm realizing how much work it is to learn. Like, I have to take an exam through Google, and it's for a deployment specialist exam, how to, you know, transfer people over from one MDM to another MDM, and there's so much involved with it and doing it smoothly, and, and it's it's overwhelming just, just how robust the platform is, at least for Google, and understanding it all is really difficult. So, I like, part of me was always like, oh, you know, MDM, BlackBerry, they got it. But then I see, like, I've been taking live webinar, well, not webinars, but actually classes with Google employees, and they're kind of teaching us how to become deployment specialists. And it's like, it's a lot of work, and it makes me a little bit worried from BlackBerry's standpoint, because I guess, I mean, if they're personally trying to push it in, they're going to be the ones that are deployment specialists. That's one thing. But you really, to scale, you need a lot of companies doing it for you and pushing the product. And I, it's like, if me personally as a company, I don't necessarily try and recommend BlackBerry or Bez. So then it's just like this weird scenario where I'm actually pushing Google product, and I have been the past few years when it comes to that. And it's like the one place where BlackBerry is like their golden standard is. So I don't know. I'm just torn at it all. I'm kind of getting more realization of, of the market and the competition in the market, I guess. Um, you're such a terrible BlackBerry fan, Alex. You can't it's, even push the MDM solution. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> I don't. I, that's the yeah, that's BlackBerry what I'm torn about. the MDM solution. Sorry, say that again. Didn't BlackBerry invent the MDM solution? Yes, but that doesn't mean that it's the mo the easiest to implement slash train slash yeah. It's it's a shame. No, I don't it's know. enterprise software. I mean, you know, yeah. there's this curve of price versus how much it sucks. And yeah. it seems like the more the software costs, the more it sucks once you pass, you know, the threshold of Adobe products. So yeah. up until yeah. Adobe pricing, you pay more, you get more. After that, it's sort of the opposite. Yeah. It's true, man. It's like, when truth. it comes down to it, all of that stuff is incredibly complicated, like seemingly overcomplicated. That's why that's why when Bez Cloud came out, there was such yeah. like uh, it, at least there was like a little bit of initial hype and essentially hope that it would be somewhat easier for people on the end user spectrum to be able to go ahead and implement these things because I tried know, it. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Like I can I set mine up, of course, I've managed to lock myself out of my own device <laughs> a few times, but you know, in the end it was it was way more easier than going ahead and setting up my own personal bez, right? So, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where, it, yeah, there was definitely some initial hype there because of the fact that end users can go ahead and do these things themselves, whereas setting up a Bez, you know, you need to worry about servers, you need to worry about RAM and SQL databases and all this other crazy stuff that people, you know, normally just don't really care about or don't know about, right? So, yeah, there's, there's definitely... Definitely a level of complication there that people need to understand, and you know that that stuff's not all point and click and easy. No. And you know, especially if you're if you're looking at multiple solutions, like like Alex said, you know, he was looking at Google for work or whatever. And then there's like, of course, um, good technology, which ironically that leads us back to good technology conversation. Um, yeah. And best well, I mean, it's it's all incredibly complicated when you actually sit down and you look at the documents. It's like, holy crap, I can never figure this stuff out, right? I mean, aside promoting Google, then is it is it strictly ease of use or access, or is it because you're already kind of ingrained in that ecosystem? I mean, what is it for you? 
Um, well, I mean, first of all, it's 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 so complicated. I mean, there was a partner program we partnered up, and, and we got like a twenty percent margin. So it's like, yes, push their product, and for every user, you know, we charge five dollars. Google only charges us four dollars, so we get a little bit of margin for it. Um, but now Google's actually pushing out all the small companies like us. We're kind of getting pushed away. Um, where we're not even getting margin anymore. Google just announced this year they're essentially you need to sell at least four thousand dollars of new contracts in the year, or you no longer get margin. And now I have to pass all of these exams even to keep this admin console that I use to manage all my clients. And I'm telling you, the first time I took the the exam, I got a twenty seven percent on it. It was a two hour exam, and I took it with my buddy. We got a forty one percent. I took a two hour class. I got a forty four percent. So I'm still trying to pass this. You need a 70% to pass it, but it's geared towards, uh, you know, 10 to 100,000 users. It's it's not really meant for the small clients that I have. I have clients that are between five and 20 users. So it's the questions that they ask are very very difficult. So it's it's weird to me that like I mean I I'm definitely seeing Google go in this direction where they're trying to be enterprise based, and it gets me a little bit worried for BlackBerry because you know. Their their process at least is is very streamlined for setting up a, a company. I can set up a company to Google Apps for workers, switch them over fairly quickly. I've switched people over from um, you know Microsoft and and the other solutions out there, and it's not too much work. Um, but really, it was it was the partner status, and it was that I was just using it. It's something I was very comfortable with, and it works across devices. Yes, you don't get as much integration with BlackBerry, and I think that's where one of the big things comes. You know, If you have a client that has all BlackBerry 10 devices, then yes, you're not going to get the kind of integration that you really want um, using Google Apps for work, but at this point, it seems like a lot of, at least a lot of my clients, they have iPhones, they have Android devices, so that's kind of where you get pigeonholed. And then, you know, the Priv is Android anyway, so I I don't know. It's don't, it's tough. Don't worry about it too much, Alex. If that's the case, <laughs> Google will just buy BlackBerry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that. Yeah. <laughs> They're already BlackBerry's already running their Android devices. Why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> easier. Yeah, it's it's an easier acquisition, right? Yeah. Uh, I feel like Samsung might get mad if that were to happen, though. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> We were going to buy them. That's why we took all their employees. <laughs> so, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, Android and Priv specifically, but BlackBerry 10 is still getting some, some maintenance and love along the way. We just saw the global release of BlackBerry 10.3.2.2876. Really a hotfix update started to roll out for users across the globe. Specifically in the North American continent, we got this update a couple weeks back, and it seems to kind of be percolating uh, through wider availability, this update is said to bring um, updates to the calendar, removal of the BBM Meetings app, which is going to be just established as of February, and as well, patches for the Android player, specifically on the security side of things. Have any of you guys uh, grabbed this update on your devices? I grabbed it on a couple of my unlocked ones, still waiting on some of my carrier-driven ones. Um, honestly, it was a nice little little bug fix. I had a specific uh, resource issue on my Red Passport where RAM was just like being used for no apparent reason, and the hotfix actually seemed to, to level that out for me. Uh, I don't know if that was the Android player or, you know, BBM meetings <laughs> doing doing some nonsense, but uh, it was a really nice update. Kind of evened out the experience I was having on my Passport, but I think a wider availability of 10.3.2 shows at least that BlackBerry is potentially gearing up for some of these other updates. Anyone else here happen to grab the update or have any experiences with it? I've had it on my Silver Edition Passport for 
a while now, like even before even before it rolled out to like the shop library devices, I'm pretty sure it hit the servers and people were downloading directly from there and building auto loaders and stuff. But um, you know, it, it's it's a nice update to actually have uh, for those who essentially don't use a lot of Android apps because you know, uh, even though it says that there's a fix for the Android player in there, the OS is effectively like broken for Android apps. Some people experience the, the inability to go ahead and fully, you know, delete Android applications from their device. Like, you know how when you delete an application, it's supposed to remove everything from the device, but this particular OS, it doesn't. It actually leaves the application alone and still installed. So therefore, when you actually go and try and reinstall the application, because it says that it's installed. The icon and everything will go missing sometimes. Uh, and, you know, like, um, sometimes the icon doesn't actually disappear, even though it says that it deleted it. The icon doesn't actually disappear. Anyways, the long and short of it all is that the Android player is really messed up. Um, there are some solutions to be able to go ahead and correct it, but, you know, it's still one of those things. It's like, why should I have to do this? Because, you know, it's broke. Like, why do I have to fix it? Um, <laughs> yeah, like but Blackberry's that, hot fixes by a prim. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Like, there's there's a Blackberry knowledge base article. Like, Blackberry knows now that it's a problem and so on and so forth. There's lots of fixes in the Crackberry forms and stuff like that. You just upload the two two-bar files from an earlier OS for the Android runtime, and it's fixed. But again. Why do you have to do that, right? Um, one of those things that is problematic for some people, and then there's other people out there that it just doesn't it doesn't affect their device at all. And whatever you do, don't don't follow BlackBerry's fix because BlackBerry's fix actually just says wipe your device and start fresh. But that won't actually fix anything if you have the problematic OS. So uh, keep that in mind. Yeah. But other than that, it's good OS. Check out the Crackberry post if you are interested, and in the forums, you know, there's more discussion on that actual solution as opposed to just wiping your device flat out. Yeah, I mean, don't that, that should be a last kitchen <laughs> Run out and, and lock your device for 72 hours. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just, that's just a Google pun. So 10.3.2 is out there globally. Check it out. Check for those software updates if you haven't grabbed it already. Another bit of news we had, which I thought was pretty interesting, BlackBerry, you know, we had the BlackBerry fact checks, and I, I don't know if we've moved away from those or whether sometimes there's not enough information to really do a BB fact check, but we had a stance here, BlackBerry defending its phones from a forensic security group claiming that they, you know, had broken the PG uh, encryption chips on BlackBerrys to access some kind of communication. Well, this is a really interesting conversation um, BlackBerry basically was like, there's no facts here, so we can't say anything really, right? The quote yeah, that, that was a difficult... Uh, one that was easy for them to sort of refute because the people uh, calling them out really, yeah, they had nothing to back themselves up with. In fact, it wasn't even entirely clear from their posts whether this was BBOS or BB10 or actually it kind of looked like they were talking about third-party PGP apps on BBOS yeah, but again, there wasn't enough detail to know <laughs> what the hell they were referring to. Yeah, the lack of the lack of detail there, and I mean, for all of us to go ahead and look at, it, we can assume that it was BBOS devices because they even pinpointed like 9320s and stuff like that. However, there's 
you know, the subject of the fact that they didn't even actually break all of the devices. They noted that they couldn't get into all of the d devices, um, and that it was not even standard custom Blackberries, like, you know, Bez-enabled Blackberries or anything like that. It was PGP custom Blackberries that you buy from, like, PGP Ghost, and, uh, which all run Blackberry OS anyways, which, you know, most of us aren't even actually using. Plus, you actually had to have physical access to the device, and you supposedly had to have access to the Celebrate machines, which are, you know, I'm sure can be bought on the black market at some point, but realistically, they're only available through, like, purchased directly through the company, um, carrier locations and stuff like that. Carriers used to actually have them as part of their, like, databases um, for transferring content back and forth for people. I believe Verizon actually used to use the system to transport contacts back and forth when people switched devices. Um, and, yeah, law enforcement agencies. So it wasn't, like Derek said, it wasn't even 100 and 10% clear as to what the actual devices were that they were actually claiming to have unencrypted. It's just kind of a, kind of a di disastrous thing. I, I put a post in the Crackberry forums that, like, these guys always come up every few months. If you guys actually pay attention to it, like, um, Cellbrite machines, for years, Cellbrite has been claiming that they've been able to go ahead and crack BlackBerry devices. Like, there's a, there's a video from, like, 2012... 2008, 2009, there's videos on YouTube that you can actually see, and they're claiming to show that they're cracking BlackBerry devices, and Alchemsoft is another company that does it. They basically claim that they break um, Password Keeper on, on BlackBerry and stuff like that. Like, you know, it, I'm not doubting the fact that there are some possibilities that they could go ahead and dump some of the data from the device. I don't doubt that at all, but it's just the way that they go about announcing the stuff that's totally sketchy. Like, come on, at the end of the day, you still have to have physical access to the device. And it's one of those things where it's like, not everybody is going to hand over their phone. Like, if you're a law enforcement agency, then chances are you're probably accessing it through lawful access anyways, right? So what difference does it make? Like, nobody's picking up these cell bright machines off of the street and being able to crack your buddy's BlackBerry. Like, I'm not breaking into Brendan's BlackBerry and reading all of his email messages. Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous how some of this stuff actually gets put out there. But that's what they do. Like, every few months, you'll hear these stories come up, and then they get perpetuated, and then blogs write about it. But again, as Derek said, this one was even sketchier than most because they didn't even give out much information. And it wasn't even new news. If you actually look at the article, the article itself is from, like, December 20th or something like that. So the news went past, like, the news cycle. It got recycled and then reprocessed re back up. Like, we're, like, we're talking about this now, and it's, like, January 17th. We're talking about news from December 20th. You know what I mean? Like, that's getting shit right there. <laughs> Somebody had some ulterior motives to be able to go ahead and push that information back out again. But whatever. That is that is called SEO spam. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. It recurs that way, right? On the, every quarter, <laughs> we're going to get the same news bits from these people. Yeah, but there's a really on our site to be able to go back and pull that information. So. Mm. 
Yeah, it's you know, and that's the thing. Like, why didn't we get a fact check? Because there were no facts to check. Right. <laughs> why. Hey, think on the bright side. We don't have the stock shorting news cycle anymore. Remember that? Yeah, that's good news. Good news. Stock price goes up and up and up. Yeah. And then someone posts an inflammatory blog post, stock tanks, and this was like a, a wave for several years. Just, I, I feel like someone should have invested on this. They would have made a lot of money. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like all the gains that BlackBerry made over the past few weeks has kind of been washed out by the uh, by the economy the past couple yeah. of weeks. It's unfortunate. But it's always to like it's like an exponential scale. So like there's here's the economy and BlackBerry is always like to this crazy ultimate like level where it's like, okay, everything's down seven percent. Okay, Blackberry is now down eight percent because they're Blackberry like it's always affected at such a, a higher rate than everything else is just I don't even understand why like Blackberry is just a volatile stock and it's just I guess that's what they want to be they don't have well, control it's there. funny because if you think about it Blackberry's customers are the customers who would be able to weather the storm of an economic downturn like a lot of them like if you're thinking about it governments uh, large corporations that have some kind of plan to deal with these type of things. Whereas if you think of somebody like a consumer-oriented uh, um, OEM or something like that, if the economy goes down, all of a sudden you have a bunch of people who aren't willing to pay a thousand bucks for yeah. a device, right? Whereas like the government, yeah. the government needs those services and devices to keep uh, the country running, right? So, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's weird. I don't know. I think it's it's just always been a volatile stock, and I feel like it's always going to be. Yeah, um, tech stocks always will be, but there's, there's too many people out there that are just shady trying to mani manipulate this. Oh yeah, like, you know, that's I've said it before. I can't even pay attention to to it because it just drives me crazy. Like how much nonsense actually goes on in terms of the stocks. Like one bad article can actually just go ahead and and redefine the whole stock. Like, I don't yeah. get that. Yeah. I'm like, that's ridiculous nonsense to me. Yeah, and then, like, four positive articles will barely move the dial, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People are, people are fickle, and pe people drive those numbers at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, you know, people are also driving some innovation at BlackBerry. We've seen some IoT movement on the security side. Uh, they announced DTSEC, a major step forward towards cybersecurity and the Internet of Things. Probably one of the most interesting pieces of news across this last week. Basically, um, you know, David Kleidermacher, who is their CSO, their chief security officer, has really been looking in, at taking BlackBerry and being able to allow the company to scale toward the broader connectivity problem, right, where there's really just a major trust issue. There's no compliance, no standards for some of these top-tier security uh, features and assets. So BlackBerry's uh, Chase team has been working on DTSEC, a medical device cybersecurity standard, working with international nonprofit consortiums to basically create some of these standards for IoT, medical device compliance, and you know ISO and IEC uh, methodologies, which is really, really cool, right? This is the kind of standardization that we're already seeing in QNX Automotive, with QNX being certified at different levels for, you know, you know, different ADAS systems and things like that, taking some of that expertise, right, and leveraging it over to other devices is smart. You know, what else do you guys think is going to be necessary for us to really see this IoT picture? Because <laughs> it has to be, there ha we, we talked a little bit about the openness or closeness of different platforms, be it Tesla versus QNX, right? 
on the automotive scale, but you know there needs to be compliance standards. Is that a government-driven thing? Is it a legislative type thing? I mean, where are we really going to be able to find the progress on some of these these complex issues? And it, it's funny because like IoT as a whole, this is this it's like this buzzword that we've been hearing for so long. And really, what is IoT? And I guess that's that's you know having your toaster. That's having everything connected to the internet and able to function from that. And yes, there are some markets where I think will benefit a lot from that, like the car or the auto industry especially. I think um, they're planning, the, at least the U.S. government, Obama just passed something where they're going to be spending, I think, like $4 billion on transportation over the next uh, four or five years to try and get automated cars out there. And like, so yes, the car, the auto industry definitely makes a lot of sense, but I feel like this whole IoT thing where, yes, like your refrigerator will tell you what food you have inside of it and you could label when it's spoiled, like if you saw anything at, at CES. Um, I mean, it's it's stuff that I don't think is really going to revolutionize things too much. Um, and, and then you have this whole scenario, too, where IoT, you have a company like Nest, where they lost connection to the servers and everybody's house was stuck cold for a, a couple days because, <laughs> like, it, it's like, on, on its bare, most bare-bones thing, your toaster should still be a toaster when it can't connect to the Internet. When your toaster can't be a toaster because it can't connect to the Internet, I think that's where you have problems. That's so when you run into the internet of shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do wonder how many of these things would make for a great addition to, you know, Disney World's Carousel of Progress and how yeah. many would actually be useful in the real world. Yeah. Uh, I remember yeah. when I first moved out here and we were going refrigerator shopping, there was one refrigerator at the store that had apps and they actually had to uh, drop the price because nobody was buying it. But I think the problem with a lot of these connected devices is if the vendor doesn't care about maintaining the, the hardware and software behind it, it very quickly becomes useless junk at a far greater rate than you know, the base appliance ever would. Yeah, no, that's yeah, very true. I mean, that's, that's part of like, you know, the whole scenario right now is like, who in the hell is going to go out and buy a fridge that may not necessarily be "quote unquote" supported in like two years? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Which means the connected piece really needs to be something that's independent of the base appliance. I mean, you know, the absolute top of the line infotainment connected gizmo of almost anything is just so horribly out of date and backwards compared to. A three-year-old smartphone—it's yeah. almost sort of an embarrassment. Yeah, yeah. No, we were we were talking about that last week, where we're like, you know, you you pull your smartphone or a tablet out in your car, and it works ten times better as an infotainment system than your actual car infotainment system that you spent five thousand dollars on to get is, and, <laughs> yeah. and that's really the problem. Ridiculous. When when the software yeah. isn't supported, it, it becomes worse than anything could have ever been. It's, yeah, and you know, take car infotainment systems. You know, with the exception of basically one auto manufacturer, the moment you drive that car off the lot, they could care less about it. Yeah. Yeah. The the one thing that's kind of worrying me about IoT is, will all the things that we buy going to be, you know, are they not going to have any function that can be done without the internet? Like, for instance, I'm already seeing it with game consoles where, you know, if a game console, the service is down, you basically can't use it because it can't verify with the internet that you have the licenses and stuff like that. And I'm wondering with fridges, and obviously fridges are a different thing, but other other IoT-related product, products, are they going to have, you know, some built-in functionality, or is, are we going to keep continuing this trend where everything's going to have to continuously be connected to the Internet to even work? 
Well, I hope it doesn't have to automatically be connected to the internet to work because that's going to be a pretty terrible scenario. Like, you know, it's kind of funny because me and Michelle were talking about this the other day because, like, Cox Internet, like, our Cox Internet goes down pretty much, like, every single night. If anybody has Cox, like, don't ever get Cox Internet. (laughs) Yeah, Comcast just goes down in the middle of the weekday afternoon when they think yeah. he's around their notice. Yeah. And Michelle brought up Michelle brought up the exact same question. She was like, "What happens if we had a had like that internet connected fridge? Like <laughs> the store? Like is the internet even capable of supporting these things? Because she was like, you know, our internet goes out like every two hours. So what happens then if your internet goes out?" Does all the food in your fridge spoil or anything? Like, no, but obviously, see, obviously, that's an exaggerated situation. Yeah. It's a but situation that, that is realistic too, because like, you know, what happens to all these things if you don't have the internet connected to them? And, and that's honestly, like, at its barest level, we're literally in a problem with user experience, where at its barest phone level, when you plug the thing in, it should do what it's intended to do. Everything in addition to that, IoT should just be a layer on top of it. Like, oh, now I can make toast from my smartphone. But if I can't connect my smartphone to the internet and I can't connect the toaster to the internet, it should still work as a toaster. And that's where, like, Nest completely failed on that aspect. But that's such a basic thing. They should have a basic manual override. And the fact yeah. that they didn't, that shows that's a problem with the way they implemented it, not with where IoT is going. A fridge should still be a fridge. Even, even if, like, you independently use the internet so it says, okay, you're keeping fruit in this drawer, so we're going to, and you're using this type of fruit in there, so we're going to keep this perfect, you know, degrees Celsius, or, or I don't even know why I say Celsius, we use Fahrenheit, well, I use Fahrenheit, but whatever, they, even if they individually made each thing rely on the internet for what temperature it should be at, if it didn't connect to the internet, it should still, like, okay, well, it was last seen at this temperature, so let's keep it at this temperature, or let's go back to a d- default temperature. It shouldn't be like, oh, no, we're not connected to the internet, so I'm going to warm up your fridge so everything melts. Like, it shouldn't do that. But that's the thing. Like, we don't know if that's actually being taken under consideration because if Nest can fail it, who is well-funded and essentially owned by Google now, I think it's Google. Yeah, Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, if if they can fail at something that simple, then who's to say that like these other OEMs that are building stuff actually give a damn and have implemented those? Yeah, those know, fallbacks. Yeah, right? that, that brings that really brings. But what about that? What about that lock that you just bought off a of Kickstarter? Did they give a care if your yeah. if your internet died out? Like you know, it's a very scary thing to actually. <laughs> And, and you, know what the, you know what the other thing that's that's an interesting aspect of this is that when, when people purchase smartphones, they kind of, the, the purchase of a smartphone, smartphone traditionally is going hand in hand with that, that price factored in for your contract for the data, right? Um, whereas I find a lot of these new services like game consoles and, and internet fridges, they don't really, inc- like the mindset isn't quite there where people equate that they have to, you know, essentially be buying, you know, a larger data package or, or a faster internet package to be able to use these products effectively or, or at their best, uh, at, at their best. Yeah. It's, I don't know, man. It, 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 I mean, the best case scenario at this point is to say that it's still early days. There's still a lot of stuff that we have to go ahead and figure out. And I don't think that, 
you know, the Internet of Things is even really a thing as of yet. It's just yeah, a, and that's that's what it is. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's it's, it's it's it, exactly. It's a buzzword that it's. I, you kind of get to a point where it's almost cringeworthy whenever you hear someone say oh, yeah. IoT because it's like, well, what even is it? And it's like it's not really. I don't know. I think it's something that's just going to naturally happen, but having its own name and making it hyped like this is the year of IoT. I think that's a little bit bizarre and ridiculous. It's something that we're naturally going to flow into, but it's not something that should be so forced and, and be like, this is the next ta or tablet, or what, I, what even is a tablet? It's not like a whole new thing. It's just natural progression, I feel. Yeah. It's a bunch of nonsense to me, bro. <laughs> if my toaster can't act as a toaster, I don't want it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's basically a catchphrase to, to group a whole bunch of things together. So that's easier to market. And Alex, Alex makes a good point. His internet just went out. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still wonder when any of these things will provide real utility that makes yes. them actually compelling. I mean, I still remember when I was living in an apartment. I said, the moment I'm living in a house, I want to do all this cool home automation stuff. It seems right. Weird. And then I move into a house, and you know what? I never got around to it because it provided, it didn't provide enough utility to really be worth my time. Yeah, and there, there isn't so even a... I, so I can turn on the lights from you know the other side of the house, but I don't really want to turn the lights on unless I'm in the room, anyways. <laughs> and that's yeah. the thing. There, we were talking about it last week. There isn't even like one set standard, so you could be setting up your whole house to be automated today, and yeah. then in two years or a year from now, you know that technology has kind of been pushed out by another technology. And now, whenever you need to buy new things or updated modules for your home automation, it kind of you have to change it all again, anyways. Yeah, yeah and that's even, the problem. Even Philips messed with that because the last update that they did on their Hue lights blocked out everybody else's lights, and then they had there were so people were so angry they had to go back and roll out another update that removed the DRM restriction that, off of your lights. Like your curious. lights have DRM, dude. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah, whatever happened to the days when you bought a product, then you actually owned it and could do whatever the hell you yeah. wanted with it. Yeah. That, that's literally exactly what happened with Keurig. They wanted people to just be buying their Keurig mugs or whatever, or their, their little, you know, coffee things. They put DRM protection on it, and then everyone flipped out, and their stock plummeted, and it was like, we're not buying your shit anymore then. If you're going to be being dirty like this, like you're being that greedy that you blew up as a company and now you want us to only buy from you, so, you know, you get people fighting back, but then it comes down to what Brandon was saying. You can spend all this money automating your house, and it can be outdated. Like, I don't – and that's the funniest thing. I don't even want to buy a car because I know I'm going to end up, like, I want a nice infotainment system, but I know it's going to be outdated the day I get it. So I don't even really want to buy a car because I'm worried that it's going to be outdated. Like, it's such yeah. a big tech investment. Alex will be buying a car in, like, 2020. <laughs> I'm, and, no, honestly, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even kidding. I swear to God that I my plans at the moment, I have a 2005 Subaru Impreza. I'm going to try and let this thing last me another 5 to 10 years. And in 5 to 10 years, I think we're going to have automated cars on the road. And I think this might be my last. This is my first, and it might be my last car. And that's what <laughs> I'm hoping for. I don't know, though. My last yeah. car is 2005, and I still can't believe its uh, sound system had a tape deck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, this technology needs to become like a Wi-Fi or a Bluetooth where you can just buy a product that says, you know, for instance, this is just an exaggeration, but it would say on the box, 
IoT compliant, and then you know that it'll be able to communicate with other IoT devices. Just like when you buy a Bluetooth uh, speaker, you know it can communicate with your phone and other Bluetooth devices. Of course, uh, another question is who the hell defines what that means? Yeah, that's the difficulty. Black Bear, no. You know, it's funny <laughs> well, because... Taking this back to Black Bear, I mean, even back to that DTEC, or DSEC, DTSEC, that's incredibly hard to roll off the tongue. That doesn't work right, man. Like, they need to change the name of that already. But anyways, this DTSEC. Diabetes Technology Society, DTS, DTSEC. Yeah. yeah. That thing that James just said <laughs> isn't even a standard yet. Like, this is, this is the announcement of them making the motion to present it as a standard. It's not an approved standard yet. Even Clodemacher even says, I will blog again once the finalized standard is published. So it's not even necessarily a standard as of yet. It's interesting that they're they're getting into this because, I mean, as we saw previously, they, they demoed, like, uh, the IV machine basically being hacked and so on and so forth. But we're still in that weird space where... You know, all of these things are being developed as standards, and people are taking these things under consideration now. They're just starting to take these things under consideration because they know that it's, you know, it's something that was enabled before, all of these devices being able to go ahead and connect to the Internet. But, again, there, no, there was nobody there placing any sort of scrutiny on the security aspect of it all to be able to say, no, you can't do that. Like, you can't hook up somebody's you know, the heart monitor to, to the internet so that they can view it from, from, the, from the hospital without some sort of security behind it. Like, this needs to be over HTTPS or whatever, um, but you have it running over HTTP. Anybody can hack in and just read this information, right? Um, these are standards that are essentially being imp implemented, and it, it's, it's nice to see that BlackBerry is going ahead and putting this stuff in there. But again, it's not even a standard as of yet. It'll be finalized eventually. But, you know, it's still one of those things that BlackBerry is um, essentially taking a bigger role in. And I think I think this, this, this particular stuff is probably more realistic on the IoT side of things than anything else that we've actually seen from BlackBerry. Like uh, everybody ha has essentially heard of their con their container shipment um, tracking and so on, um, because that was one of the biggest initiatives for IoT that they announced thus far. Um, everybody has essentially heard of that, but they're still not even at the point where that has been you know necessarily 110% implemented as of yet. They're still presenting that as an idea. They only started trials of it back in November. So to to actually see DTSEC be the, this far ahead, I think this is where the stuff that BlackBerry actually needs to concentrate on their IoT side of things. The IoT and essentially the security side of IoT, more so than anything else that they, they've actually done, like BlackBerry specifically, I'm not talking necessarily QNX or anything because we know that they're in millions of cars at this point, but this stuff is actually interesting and it'll be more interesting when it actually becomes a standard and when it when it does become a standard that enables other people to actually go ahead and put it to work like the hospitals can say yes this is the standard that we're adopting so that they have it essentially set up in their privacy policy and people are aware of it 
so on, stuff like that. Like you don't have to worry about the security because this is what we're using. You know, um, it, again, I, I believe this stuff is probably more in tune with their IoT work than probably anything else that they they've announced or have publicly put out there thus far. And, and this is the stuff that really is setting up BlackBerry to be a major influencer in the market, right? I mean, we've already seen and heard John Chen from Recode say, you know, with Google, we are hoping we could potentially influence future builds of Android from a security perspective. Here we see them on the QNX side at CES talking about, again, the security standards with ADAS and wanting to build a platform for integrating these things. We see DTSEC talking about medical device compliance and certification. So again, being able to, one, establish a set standard and using that trust that a lot of people have in the BlackBerry name, they can potentially influence the market to grow kind of along the path that they're heading themselves. So this is definitely the, the kind of groundwork, the foundation for things to come in the future for them. And, you know, and as Belay said, there's a lot of areas for them that can potentially be revenue generators, be it from asset tracking to, you know, medical device management, MMDM, wild <laughs> stuff that can potentially come to a head here. So it's these foundational steps that are necessitous for them to really drive growth into the future. And as they pivot and transition to keep themselves alive, more or less, right, they're going to have to innovate in these spaces. So, for instance, like BlackBerry's Chase, the you know, security... Uh, Achievement Excellence Center, all of that is stuff that they need to do to work with, you know, the, be it the FDA or other government bodies so that they can really start driving these things. It's not only about awareness, but also having a solution at the end of the day, right, and being able to implement and execute on that. And that's something BlackBerry has a unique position to potentially go ahead and do. It's can they really implement this type of thing into a broader sense and scale it up because, you know, standardization without standardization is... It's just that, right? It's just a product. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a business. So very interesting stuff coming from BlackBerry, at least on that side of things. Another interesting thing we had in Canada was uh, BlackBerry hosting the Canadian Prime Minister over at one of the Waterloo Network Operating Centers. I thought that was kind of oddball, right? Um, not sure exactly why they'd want to do something like that, aside from some PR, sharing some of the innovations at BlackBerry. But it's a good FaceTime for them to speak with you know, Canada's leader, what do you guys think of uh, bringing the Prime Minister in to see some of the operations there and how BlackBerry continues to innovate on the security side? Well, it, was one of, it was nice to actually see like some government involvement there. I don't know how much how much actual government involvement outside of like photo ops that it was, but you know, um, because he was uh, he was essentially he visited Google as well. Like he went to a lot of the places because, as we know. Um, you know, Waterloo sort of like a, a technological hub for Canada. So he, they, he actually went to the NOC and he went to the offices of Google, and I'm sure he went other, other places as well. Um, but I don't know. It, it it really just seemed like a PR thing to me. But who knows? Maybe there was some some secondary meetings that we're not necessarily aware of. <laughs> and Alex is like, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> there was nothing. It was just a photo op. No. <laughs> it's, it's never a bad thing, but I don't know. I I really have no feelings towards it. <laughs> it was just news. It was news. Yeah. Yeah. I was waiting for Brandon or our other Canadian to chime in on the topic. <laughs> about what? <laughs> All right, so we know how he's, he feels yeah, about it. Well, I feels you know, about how, it. <laughs> how crazy he feels. He was sleeping during the whole whole mention of it. 
Yeah. Justin Trudeau is basically going to Waterloo and checking out the network operations center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for some reason, I still keep some of your funny money in my wallet for my last uh, October, yeah. but <laughs> not Canadian either, so it doesn't affect me one bit. Um, Americans get kind of freaked out that our money has like color and everything like that. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's normal. Yeah, and some sort of, I don't know. It's got like a plastic film on it. Yeah, yeah. I just don't like how how you use coins for like dollar, like uh, the loony, the toony. I hate yeah. carrying around change. I hate change, and then that's like bigger yeah. bills are. Ch- uh, that's, hey, that's try buying stamps with cash at the post office. You'll get some U.S. dollar coins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we used to have a dollar bill, a like two dollar bill, or something like that, and then that, that's when they switched in stuff. If you hated Alex, just think about how the strippers feel about it. <laughs> <laughs> they get wealth all over their body. <laughs> They're running around uh, with little coin stacks on their... they got a utility belt. <laughs> anyway, gentlemen, let's go hop on our after show. We'll go talk about how I spooked Alex out prior to the podcast with a creepy music video. <laughs> um, this has been episode number 83 entitled Knock. We will catch you all next week. Um, with that being said, just to close out here, I want to thank our awesome Patreon supporters for continuing to support us in creating this podcast. We have a device giveaway. It's a BlackBerry 10 device. Almost like 30% of the people who have put in... It's a priv. It's not a priv. Okay. It's a BlackBerry 10 device. You can check us out on Patreon and put an entry in. We've created a little video and we're going to also add in more entries. Currently we've tallied up over 350 unique entries from Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. So it's going to be really fun to see toward the end of uh, the month and beginning of February who that winner is and what that device is. Uh, Derek is one of our patrons actually and I'm going to tell him what the device is in the after show. So uh, if you are a patron, check out that after show. You'll find out what that device is a little bit early. Anyway guys, peace. Later. Later. Tuning in. Hanging out with us. You know, before we totally close out here, this was a question brought up, and I want to ask it to Derek while we have him on for the live show. <laughs> what, are, what are some of your what are your, some of your intentions for development with BlackBerry in the kind of transition it is? Do you dabble in other types of development already, or? Um, I don't really know. Um, I don't dabble that much at the moment. Um, I, I've said since. Since 2011, when you know BlackBerry was at the height of having BGR throwing crap at it, if I ever have to leave BlackBerry, I'm probably going to Android. And uh, I don't think that's changed for me personally. Um, but yeah, I'm really not sure where where I'll end up. Um, it's a shame I can't you know keep forging ahead on BlackBerry 10. That's kind of pointless by now. But uh, and it's a shame I can't use QT anywhere else. But yeah, if I was going to do something mobile in the future, I'd probably just go to Android, but really it's too early to say. Ironically, BlackBerry seems to mirror your sentiment quite a bit uh, in terms of development, right? Uh, with the priv. I'm hoping, you know, maybe they can come and revisit BlackBerry 10 in the future, but, you know, that's so far out for us right now. Um, we have uh, White Raven in our in our group here in our chat telling you to come over to Windows 10 Mobile. So uh, that's always yeah, an option. Yeah, no, Windows 10 <laughs> Mobile isn't any better than BlackBerry 10 right now. So shots fired. Let's get off your. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Windows Mobile feels like you know, it's sort of the upstart that has no penalty for failure. They they tried Windows 7 and they threw it all away and did Windows Phone 8. Then they changed everything again. 
for Windows Phone 8.1, and now 10 is, oh, it's a completely new API, so, yeah. That's tough on developers. I, yeah, like, yeah. things always changing and, and APIs changing. Yeah, and I mean, if you're Apple, you can make them, you know, bend over and take it, but yeah. you know, if you're, you know, the, the bit player in the corner, uh, why should should they put up with you? Yeah. No, and, and like, there's universal apps. That's the, I feel like that's the only thing that's appealing on Windows right now, the fact that yeah. you can make a universal app and have it work on the phone, and then it'll work on tablets, and then it'll also work on the desktop. But then I'm I'm in this, this area where, like, I don't even have the Netflix or the Twitch or any of those Windows apps on my computer because I just use the website. So it's like they've gone out of their way and made these, these apps and these universal apps, and I don't even use them. So I guess there's kind of the trade-off. And then Android is going to kind of have universal apps with, with the way that they're going to have a desktop OS, and we'll see what happens with that. And I don't know. It's, everything is changing rapidly. I feel like everyone's trying to find their way. So it's a really tough time to decide what you want to do. But I think there's a couple of safe bets right now. That's probably iOS and Android. But mm. I don't know, unfortunately. Yeah, Microsoft did a better job at unifying their APIs between all their platforms. Yeah. And it was just a matter of the UI then... You know, everyone would everyone would already be most of the way there. Yeah, iOS isn't even a safe bet because you could spend you know however many months working on an iOS app and you still run into the chance that nobody will ever actually even see it because of the the amount of apps that are in the app store. So yeah, well, or, I mean, Android yeah. same way. Yeah. Or that you'll wind up doing something Apple doesn't approve of and you'll just get rejected when you submit. Yeah. Um, it actually happened to a former coworker of mine who. Started did it doing did an iOS app on the side, put a lot of time and effort into it, got up to the end, and yeah, Apple just said, "Screw you." And when he pointed to big name apps that were doing the same thing he was, they just said, "Sorry, they're bigger." <laughs> Sounds like a legit Apple excuse. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's uh, pretty rough. <laughs> anyway, gentlemen, let's go hop on this after show, and uh, we'll rib Alex some more on his uh, life choices. <laughs> but treat for you guys too. I'm gonna talk about a nice app that you should get. <laughs> oh gosh, here we go. Oh, this is gonna be this is gonna be a long after show, guys. <laughs> we will see you all next Sunday. That is going to be my calendar's not loading here. Darn you, Windows 10. Um, <laughs> it'll be next is the 24th. 24th. Yeah, and next still week. Keep asking me to install that update. I still haven't said yes. <laughs> I wish it was like dismiss, never show me again but <laughs> we'll move on from there gentlemen I'm going to hit your emails up with the after show link and we'll get started peace and love everyone, thank you bye, yeah. thanks everybody <laughs>